Stop four, the casting shed. The floor of this building is sand, and as you enter, you are facing north. The roof over the casting beds are made of long pine boards and slopes eastward. From the end of April until Labor Day, barn swallows nest in the rafters of this building. In the center of the casting shed is a steel yard, a large iron balance suspended from a wooden tripod that is used to weigh iron. Not only was iron sold by weight, workers were sometimes paid based upon the weight of the iron they produced. Iron could be suspended from a chain cradle at one end of the balance. At the other end, weights were hung from the bar and adjusted until an indicator needle reached an equilibrium. Markings on the side of the bar would then indicate weight. To the west side of this room is the forehearth at the base of the stone blast furnace. Around the hearth are tools needed to tap the molten iron from the furnace. Wooden patterns on the east side of the room were pressed into the sand to make molds for some of the iron parts needed at the furnace, such as the cams, and for the forge, hammer heads, and the large counterbalance and pivot for the hammer, called the hearst. Cast iron products such as pots, salt pans, and anvils were in great demand by the inhabitants of the new Massachusetts colony. To fill the need, potters were employed to produce clay molds, which were buried beneath the sand floor of the casting shed, located alongside the furnace. A clay plug was knocked out of a dam at the bottom of the furnace, allowing molten iron to flow into a large ladle. The fiery liquid was then poured through a gate, a long hollow tube, into the buried mold. When making firebacks, wooden patterns were pressed into the surface of the sand floor. This left an impression into which iron was poured to form the piece. Leaning against the stone base of the furnace are many reproduction tools. They represent their counterparts listed in the 1653 inventory of the ironworks. Among the heavy wood-handled tools are ladles, rakes, and hoe-like tools called molding ships. Workers would carefully drag the curved blade of the molding ship through the sand to create a series of connected trenches. When iron was tapped into these gutters, it froze into cast iron ingots, or sows. These sows were taken to the forge, where they were reworked into wrought iron. An integrated ironworks with a blast furnace and forge required labor from numerous sources. Workers with specialized metallurgical knowledge could not be found in Puritan New England. They were recruited in England for their skills rather than their religious affiliation and came to Massachusetts because of financial incentives. The core of indentured ironmakers at Saugus consisted of little more than three dozen millwrights, hammermen, finers, founders, moldmakers, and colliers. Since many of them did not share the religious enthusiasm of the predominant Puritan society, they were often called before the magistrates for such offenses as drunkenness, physical assault, and swearing. Not surprisingly, few of this first generation of workers were assimilated into Puritan society. Many of the other vital, unskilled jobs that supported the ironworks, such as woodcutting, farming, carting wood, washing and mending clothes, and with some training mining, were done by the local inhabitants of Lynn.
In the northeast corner of the casting shed is the passage to the forge building. As you exit the casting shed through the eastern opening, notice the construction of the timber-framed building. Braces are mortised and tenoned into the structure with wooden pins to secure the joints. Mortises are holes chiseled into the wood to create a pocket into which the other framing member will be joined. A four-foot retaining wall makes up the north side of the casting shed and continues eastward toward the forge, which sits on top. Upon leaving the casting shed, proceed eastward on the stone dust path with the retaining wall on your left. A wooden ramp and bridge will bring you across the west tail race of the forge. After another short stretch of stone dust path to your left, there is a wide wooden ramp with a steep pitch. At the top of the ramp, two large open doors welcome you into the forge. The forge is a large wood frame building with weathered pine sheathing nailed horizontally to the frame. From the west side of this high-peaked building projects a wood frame chimney with a sand clay daubing applied upon riven wood lath. On the other side of the ridge are two similar chimneys. Each chimney draws the smoke and gases from fires that may be in the stone hearth below it. Wooden troughs, called sluiceways, line both the east and west sides of the building. They channel water to power the wheels and then carry it away once the water has done its work. <laughs>